something curious about this broadcast. T-minus 10, 9, 8, 7, and we have main engine start. 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, and liftoff. This is TGP nominal. Extra. All systems remain nominal. 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 Hello everybody and welcome to TGP Nominal Extra. Now this is the first TGP Nominal episode of the year, whether it be TGP Nominal or TGP Nominal Extra. Obviously with TGP Nominal Extra, I have to turn up the fader and bring in our resident astronomer, who is Ross Hockham from UK Astronomy. How are you doing, sir? Very well, mate. Merry New Year and all that stuff. Yeah, I'm just about <laughs> recovering from it, I think. Oh yeah, me too. I, I had about four or five days off work and yeah, it was messy because <laughs> you, you had it a little bit different didn't you because you had what we would call an un-Christmas yes yes I called it my non, non-Christmas because uh, my, my day job is firefighter so I work in London and unfortunately I was working the whole of Christmas so I decided I'm not going to do anything during Christmas I'm going to have it after so I finished my night shift and that morning I thought right this is Christmas Eve so I did all my Christmas Eve stuff on the 27th and then Christmas Day was the 28th. So I had a non-Christmas. It was brilliant, actually, because everything was open. It was a really good Christmas. Really enjoyed myself. Did you have a good one as well? Yeah, it was quiet, but yeah, it was a good time. Now, uh, we'd like to congratulate honorary crew member Ryan Kobrick and his wife, Jen, for the birth of their daughter, Madison Luna, who was born on New Year's Day and was uh, Volusia County's first baby of 2019. Now, regular listeners will know that Ryan is a former president of Yuri's Night. He's an assistant professor of commercial space operations at Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University in Florida, and he is a regular contributor to the podcast. Madison Luna was named after Madison, which is the area where Yellowstone Park is, and that's where Jen and Ryan got married, and Luna because she was born in the year of the 50th anniversary of the Apollo 11 moon landings. How cool is that? That is amazing. Yeah, congratulations to the Cobricks, to all four of them now, because Rafi's got a a little sister, and uh, let the future be fantastic for them. Now, we're going to have a short break, and when we come back, we're going to be talking about what's going on up there in the skies. Space, the final frontier. Final because it wants to kill us. Sometimes we forget that start taking it all for granted. The suits, the ships, the little bubbles of safety as they protect us from the void. But the void is always waiting. Good morning. It's T minus 45 minutes until the final countdown commences. In less than one hour, if all goes according to plan, the three members of the Apollo 11 crew will blast off in their... My father's name was Edwin Eugene Aldrin. ...has dreamt of mankind's greatest adventure. I became Buzz. Destination, the moon. We look back at the Earth and watch it get smaller. 
Oh, it was beautiful. Apollo 11, this is Houston. I've got the morning news here, if you're interested, over. Go ahead, Houston. An Irishman has won the world's porridge eating championship by consuming 23 bowls of instant oatmeal. I'd like to enter Aldrin in the oatmeal eating contest next time. He's on his 19th bowl. Roger. Human nature and curiosity is to explore the world around us. And the world around us includes way beyond. Go get the here. Go for landing. Over. I did it Go for landing. Roger 1202. We copy it. We're go. Same time. We're go. Okay. Engine stop. We copy you down, Eagle. Beautiful. Beautiful. The next generation of explorers should not ever give up. This is TGP Nominal. So welcome back to TGP Nominal Extra. Now, 2019 has only just begun and it's been busy already, hasn't it? Yeah, there's been loads going on. I mean, things have happened in the sky already at the beginning of the month, which we'll talk about. But also... There's been some great like landings and New Horizons has done bits as well, hasn't it? Yeah, well, this is important for the astronomy side of things as well because of what the the research that these things are actually trying to achieve. I don't think there's anybody out there that doesn't know what New Horizons is, but if, if you don't, uh, basically New Horizons is a space probe that was launched on board an Atlas V rocket from Cape Canaveral's Air Force Station in Florida on January the 19th, 2006. Now, a campaign was created for the New Horizons mission back in 2005, where you can add your name to a compact disc that was on board the spacecraft, a bit like the the InSight rover that recently landed on Mars. Myself, I didn't, I'm afraid. I was boring. <laughs> <laughs> but members in the Facebook group and members of UK Astronomy did. Their names were on there and they're off So um, Pluto. I'm um, proud to say that I'm on board the New Horizons space probe as well as the InSight rover and quite a few other missions, to be honest with you as well. <laughs> the New Horizons team realised that they had enough fuel on board to explore other Kuiper Belt objects once the spacecraft had flown past Pluto in 2015. So they had to come up with a way to find something that they could aim for. So they got in touch with the people that are in charge of the Hubble Space Telescope. And on June the 26th, 2014, the science team discovered an object that New Horizons could reach with its available fuel. The object was subsequently designated 2014 MU69. Boring. And yep. given the minor planet number, 485968. <laughs> Boring. 2014 MU69 has been nicknamed Ultima Thule, uh, which is a Latin phrase used by the Romans to describe unexplored regions to the north, and more generally, a region that lies beyond the unknown world. The phrase was used in Virgil's poem, Georgics, and the term Thule as a long literary history, appearing in works such as James Thompson's 1730 poem called Autumn, which is quoted in the first chapter of Charlotte Bronte's novel Jane Eyre. Versions of Ultima Thule also appear in the poem Dreamland by Edgar Allan Poe and in the works of Vladimir Nabokov. However, the phrase and the nickname for 
2014 MU69 has drawn criticism because Ultima Thule was also a mythical region in early Nazi folklore and used by the German occultist Thule Society to describe the lost land which was the birthplace of the Aryan race. I can't win them all, can you? <laughs> the term Ultima Thule, which is very old, many centuries old in fact, is a wonderful meme for the exploration, and that's why we chose it, said Alan Stern, the principal investigator of the New Horizons mission, when he was asked about the nickname at a press conference, because obviously somebody's looked into that and going, oh, it's involved with Nazi stuff, what do you think about this? So he said, and I would like to say, just because some bad guys liked the term once we're not going to let them hijack it. <laughs> so you've got this distant planetary body, and it's what they call a bilobed contact binary, meaning that it has two objects that form separately and then very gently collided with each other and fused together. The larger lobe is about three times the volume of the smaller one, and ultimately has a reddish hue, thought to be the result of radiation in the outer solar system. Can I just butt in there and say that it's been nicknamed by UK astronomy members as the snowman? It's actually been nicknamed as the snowman by NASA. Actually, they've done it? Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Although I still think it looks like BB-8 or if you turn it on its it does, side, yes. Starbug from Red Dwarf. Um, yeah, we've had, we've had all that posted in the group. <laughs> <laughs> So, from early images, the team believes that the object may be covered in features such as hills, ridges and plateaus. It rotates about once every 15 hours, and it appears to contain exotic ices such as nitrogen or methane, something that scientists will look to confirm when more data arrives. It's going to take some time for all that information to, to come back. And then they say, is it a couple of years or something? 20 months yeah there's a lot of information that that has actually picked up in that time it's it's quite amazing how much information it's just done in that fly past Ultima Thule measures something like 68 square miles or 177 square kilometers and is about as reflective as garden soil and it's illuminated by a sun that's 1900 times fainter than it is outside on a sunny day here on earth so New Horizons is basically tracing down this rock in the dark at 32,000 miles an hour that's a feat of engineering isn't it isn't it just <laughs> Eventually, are they letting it go out into the solar system and beyond? They're just going to let it go until the fuel runs out and see what they come across on the way. See where it goes. Yeah. Because will it take over like Voyager and that? Is it faster, I'm guessing? I'm not too sure about that because obviously it's heading in a completely different direction. Yeah. So who knows and what it, it's going to achieve. So does it? Is it run on, obviously it has different fuel, does it? It's, it's run on uh, one of the nuclear fuels, but it doesn't use a lot of fuel because once you start pushing something in space, it just, it just keeps, keeps going. going. And the more it goes, the faster it gets. So it, it's going to get faster and faster, but it's going to take time to get to those kind of speeds. So it only needs fuel really to correct itself if it's going off of its planned trajectory. Also, did you hear the track that Brian May composed for the event? No. It's the first single he has recorded in 20 years, and it's called New Horizons. Perfect. And uh, just after midnight in America, in well, in the East Coast of America, they played it. So it not only was it was the countdown for the fly past, it was also the countdown for the new year and the release of this record. 
what I'll do is I'll put it in the show notes so that people can see the video for it because it is available on YouTube. Wicked. The Chinese Space Agency has successfully landed a robotic spacecraft on the far side of the moon, which is the first time anything has attempted that kind of landing. Obviously, the moon's in the way, so you can't transmit any you know, form of radio signals or anything to each other, communicate, so they've had to bounce it off a satellite, haven't they? It's a special satellite that they've actually put into the, the orbit of the moon for this mission. So it's totally designed for doing this. The uncrewed Chang'e 4 probe touched down on the South Pole Aitken Basin, according to Chinese state media. It's carrying instruments to analyse the unexplored region's geology, as well as to conduct biological experiments. There have been numerous missions to the moon in recent years, but the vast majority have been either to orbit as a flyby, or there has been a couple that have impacted into the ground on the moon to test for different things. The last time humans have been on the moon, back in 1972 for Apollo 17. The Changi probe has already sent back pictures from the surface, which were shared by the state media. And as we've mentioned, there was no direct communication links. So all the pictures and data have been bounced off this special satellite. Previous moon missions have landed on the Earth facing side, but this is the first time any craft has landed on the other side which is renowned for being rugged and there's a lot more craters on that side which makes it a little bit difficult to to land stuff on so they actually found a crater which was huge it's it's about 2500 kilometers in diameter which is about 1550 miles in diameter it's 13 kilometers deep and one of the largest impact craters in the solar system that's pretty cool yeah. Same, I can't see it. <laughs> <laughs> now, the Chang'e 4 was launched from the Zhejiang Satellite Launch Center in China on the 7th of December, and it arrived in lunar orbit on the 12th of December, and it's just been floating around there till where it landed. The science team hopes to study parts of the sheet of melted rock that would have filled the newly formed South Pole Aitken Basin, allowing them to identify variations in its composition. A third objective is to study the far side regolith to see if it's any different to the other side. I doubt that it would be because it's not like people think. A lot of people say, oh, the far side, it's the dark side of the moon. It's not the dark side of the moon. It's just that the way that the moon is traveling and the way that we're traveling, the speed. We, we never get to see it. Yeah, we're working at speeds that makes it so that that side is always locked. If our planet and the moon were working at the different speeds to what they are, there would be a possibility that we might see the other side. But there's no way of changing the speeds of either of them. So, and I, I, at the moment. I wouldn't want to try it anyway because that sounds pretty dangerous to me. Yeah, you don't want a big asteroid <laughs> coming this way. Well, that would be cool to look closer to the moon. I wouldn't want that. <laughs> There's a lot involved with this mission. The other equipment and experiments include a panoramic camera, a radar to probe beneath the lunar surface, an imaging spectrometer to identify materials and minerals, and an experiment to examine the interaction of solar wind, which is a stream of energized particles that come from the sun, and how that reacts with the lunar surface. 
and China also wants to become a leading power in space exploration alongside the United States and Russia. In 2017, they announced that they were planning to send astronauts to the moon and they're also going to start building their own space station next year with the hope that it will be operating by 2022. Now, we don't know where this space station is going to be operating. There is a good chance that they might want to do it orbiting the moon. So, just watch this space, basically. Well, we'll make it nice and big and bright so <laughs> I, can, I can peek at it with my telescope. <laughs> can you imagine that? That'd be so cool to look out your window at the moon and actually see a white dot going around it. Mm. That'd be wicked, man. How cool is that? It's strange because I know we've got lots and lots of things that are actually orbiting the moon, but we don't yeah. get to see them because they are too small. The Lunar Reconnaissance Orbiter is, is not that big. I, I can't remember how big it is. It's about the size of a car, I think. Yeah, no, you can't see it. I think someone in the group asked once, and we were looking it up to try and figure it out, but there's, there's nothing. you can. Everything's too small for us to be able to see, which is a shame because that would be cool. The only thing I love the Lunar Reconnaissance Orbiter because... It took a picture of the landing site. Mm -hmm. And now, when everyone ever goes, do we land on the moon? There you go, proven. And then they'll go, oh, okay. Whereas before, I'd have to explain it all to them. Now I can just chuck a picture there. Yeah. And go, look, we did. Look, it's there. Look. How cool is that? They actually managed to get a picture. Tire treads. You can see them. Look, there they go. <laughs> yeah. And you can actually see the little, not the footprints themselves, but you can see the little trails mm. where, you know, the astronauts had walked around and stuff. It's brilliant. It's really cool to see. Yeah, it's always good to talk to friend of the show, Noah Petro from NASA Goddard Space Flight Center because he is one of the guys that are charged with actually looking after LRO. So he gets to see what it's producing on a daily basis. Awesome. Right, I'm going to jump in now because funnily enough, the highlight of this month is the moon. Because uh, on the 21st of January, we've actually got a total lunar eclipse in the UK that we can actually see. So that's going to be brilliant. So the only thing is, it is going to be really early in the morning. So it's about 2.30 in the morning. <laughs> so probably only Muppets like me are actually going to be up to see it. But it's well worth maybe even just setting your alarm just to pop out for an hour just to see it. Because at around 2.30am, the moon's going to actually enter what's known as the is it penumbra, which is a shadow pretty much. Just, the Earth kind of has almost like two shadows behind it. One on the outside, which is the penumbra, and one on the inside, which is the umbra or umbra or penumbra or something like that. So I just call it the outside and the inside so it'll be easier for people you know our shadow is going to be projected onto it and cover the moon a bit and all it's going to do for the first sort of hour 2:30 to 3:30 is you'll see the moon kind of slowly darken from one side kind of slip over and slowly darken which is quite cool but then about 3:30 a.m. then enters the main shadow in the middle and that's where things start to get really cool a lot of people think it will just disappear or go black but it doesn't really it's actually going to go a deep dark red color because the Earth actually refracts light around it from the sun. So as it refracts the light around it, it gives it sort of like an orange and red sort of color or a glow or a hue that's going to be projected onto the moon. So that's why they call it a blood moon, because it's actually going to go red. It's going to be around about 4.30 to 5.40, so you've got about an hour there, where the moon's it's going to be completely eclipsed by our shadow. Is there a, another special term they use for it? Because, you know, you get like beaver moons and this, that and the other. I think it depends on what time of year they are, isn't it? Something like that. Generally, yeah. I think this one, all, all I've all I've seen in red is they're just calling it the uh, blood moon when it goes red like this. And But also, you get a blood moon sometimes when it's coming up from the horizon. But that, again, is because sometimes it's actually grazing our shadow and things like that. So it's usually a full moon. And as it's coming up there, sometimes our atmosphere will turn it red. 
I think it depends with uh, how much carbon there is. They say if there's forest fires and things going on, it makes it even redder because there's a lot of carbon which is refracting the light and turning it red. So yeah, the only term I've heard is it's a lunar eclipse and they call it a blood moon. It's a full moon, so there's probably some term for it. But there's, as, as we know, you have at least one a month, if not <laughs> two sometimes. Yeah. Which is why once in a blue moon, that's if you have two full moons in one month. So yeah, I lose track of, I think we spoke about this last year, didn't we? Because there was a full moon that they called the super moon last year at this time. Yeah. So now mm. instead of being a, a super moon, it's actually going to be covered in our shadow. 4.40 till 5.40 is when it's going to be at its best. And then it's going to slowly sort of creep out again at about 6.50 a.m. It's going to pass out of the main shadow and the red color will slowly sort of disappear and drift off of it and uh, yeah it slowly slowly lighten back to its normal looking state at around 7:50 a.m so i'm most definitely going to be out probably thinking a best place probably for me seeing as it's a long period of time i've got to be out there is probably our dark sky site in uh, calvert which is near steeple claydon great moor sailing club i've got a fob to get in i can have some guests as well and there's a toilet there's tea making facilities so for me it's got everything <laughs> for a long event and that's just that's not too far from Milton Keynes about 20 minutes away so it will be on our Facebook group and also on the website if anyone's interested you're more than welcome to come and join but I think it'll be wicked as long as the cloud holds off because the last one 100% cloud I saw nothing all the meteor showers as well last year pretty much got <laughs> clouded off for me it's, it's typical isn't it all that hot weather we had last year <laughs> yeah. and the time that anything is supposed to be happening in the sky and the cloud comes yeah i'm gonna start calling it ross's law <laughs> don't forget it because even if you can just wake up for an hour or half an hour and pop out and look up at the moon it will be red and that's something completely different it's, it's, it's really cool ladies and gentlemen you know it you love it you can't live without it this is TGP normal? Nominal. Damn. But what we have been blessed with, there are some comets up. One of them is really good. It's really, really visible to see. And I'm going to go with Wotanen. Mm -hmm. Right, Wotanen. Even you know the name of it, didn't you? <laughs> Although you did get me on that Ultima. I was going to call it Ultima Fall. Yeah, so I'm glad you said it before me because then I would have looked at <laughs> Fall. But yeah, two comets. We, we call this one the Christmas Comet because it was around all in December. And it got brighter and brighter and brighter. And I was lucky. I was at an event teaching some kids. And that was a school we went to. And I sat there going, look, you can see this and see that. And the Rhine Nebula. And I went, ah, there is a comet up. Let's have a look, see if we can find it. It was a nice clear night. Popped it on there. There it was. A lovely sort of green, fuzzy hue. And in darker skies, you may even get to see a little tail on it. I think it's at its brightest around now. And it's going to slowly dim down. But it is quite nicely high up in the sky at the minute so let's have a look at where it is so there's two comets up for grabs this month and both happen to be within the constellation of lynx which is it's kind of a bigger constellation it's not really well known but it's going to be heading towards ursa major which is the great bear which everyone usually knows because the plows there and stuff like that so you can find it the moon is out of the way as well for the first half of this month so a perfect time as long as no clouds come along and get in the way to have a view or a snap of it. Now, Watanen is not going to be too far from a star called, I'm going to make this up, by the way. It's Masida. I like the sound of that. So it's M-U-S-C-I-D-A. There's a star called Masida and it's in Ursa Major. And it's going to pass just kind of underneath it in a curve as the month goes along. So it'll be around there. It's going to be heading towards the two stars that make up the plough, the sort of saucepan. You know, at the end, if yeah. you follow them, they take you to the northern star, don't they? Mm-hmm. 
So it's kind of drifting around that sort of area there. So if you've got some binoculars, that's the best way to find it. And then go in with a scope, because then you'll know exactly where it's placed. And then there's another one, funnily enough, just called Stephen Ottomer. So I'm guessing a guy called Stephen probably found it. <laughs> uh, it's going to be slightly lower than Wetanum, and I think it's not as bright. You will be able to hopefully see it and find it, maybe with some binoculars. And if you're doing astrophotography, take a wide picture of that area. You might get two in there in one pick, and that would be really, really cool. So yeah, it's just going to be going slightly lower than the other one and passing below a nice orange star which hasn't got a name that I could see in a links again so it's definitely one for astrophotographers possibly scopes funnily enough it just happens to be by pure chance I'm sure our competition this month is <laughs> comets and clusters you could win a UK astronomy calendar with your picture in it by posting it on our Facebook group and tagging me in it Ross Hockham uh, you can find further details on www.ukastronomy.org because in December, the comet happened to have passed through Taurus, so with the Pallades there, which is a really nice cluster of blue stars, people took pictures of that. So I then thought, right, in January, let's get people out taking more pictures. And if I had clusters as well, gives the hardcore astrophotographers the comets to go for, maybe get both in it. And then, you know, the people that haven't got all that gear can get some nice clusters of stars and possibly win as well depending, you know, what people vote for. So that was my thinking of trying to get everyone involved there. It's considered we don't get comets that often, really, that you can have a good look at. So there's something else that's going on with the comet as well. The early part of the month, we're actually passing through Watanen. So some of the tail dust that was ejected, apparently it was ejected in around about 1976, and we're going to actually go through it. So Earth is going to pass through this light tail, and it's going to be seen as shooting stars. And they're saying after sort of around 6 p.m., and it's going to be coming from the constellation Aquarius. So throughout the month, you never know. If you see a little shooting star go from Aquarius away, that might be a part of the tail of the comet. So you can see the comet, and then we just happen to be going through the tail as well. I love it. Earth, beautiful Earth, the only planet that astronomers can't see. Getting them up again, we're actually reaching our closest point to the sun. Although here in the UK, it's definitely not going to feel like it. We're tilted away at the moment so the only thing that's going to change really for us is the apparent size of the sun which will appear slightly bigger for a telescope as opposed to later on in the year but remember never look at the sun unless you have special filters and gear don't be using smoked glass and things like that because you're just going to hurt yourself and i'll take no responsibility so the sun's going to be slightly bigger and then as if that isn't enough <laughs> there's also a meteor shower that peaks at the beginning of the month i think it's like right at maybe the 4th or the 5th, so it might be a bit late when this goes out, but it does continue on to the 12th, it says. Yeah, yeah. So there are still ones to be seen, and it's got an hourly rate of about 120 possible shooting stars. So it's as big, if not bigger, than the ones in August and December, the Perseids and Geminids. But for some reason, no one ever talks about this one. And they, they think it's because everyone's had Christmas, the New Year, and they tend to like, oh, no, no one can be bothered to go out. They just want to, you know, doom and gloom. But it's right. No, I hate the name for it. We, we, we discussed this earlier, didn't we? Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's quadrant, pretty much, with an id on the end. But I like to go quadranted because that sounds a bit more spacey, a bit more meteorite doesn't it? Yeah. So it's a quadranted meteor shower. And it's, it's actually its name comes from a no longer existing constellation. And it's created by a French astronomer called, I'm going to go, Jérôme Lalande. <laughs> I think you'll find it's pronounced Lalande. <laughs> and that's why you're here. 
It was in uh, 1795, and it was located between the constellations of Boots, the Herdsman, and Draco the Dragon. But it's not there anymore for some reason. It got. Do you know why it got defunct or debunked? Or uh, it was to do with the International Astronomical Union. They devised a new way of listing modern constellations, and for some reason, they decided not to include Quadrans Moralis in it. But the meteor shower still. Re- retains the name quadrantids yeah so it's (laughs) it's weird they should just include it into boots shouldn't they because it's near boots or booties and then it could be the boot heads yeah (laughs) works i'm happy with that that'll go maybe we have to have to put our thing into the baa (laughs) and say we want it called this so yeah so it pretty much it radiates just above to the left of the constellation of boots at the moment it's not far from the star there called necker n-e-k-k-a-r and unfortunately again they peak at around 2 a.m but the moon's out the way for the first beginning of the month so they could put on a good show so there's loads to see so far and then venus venus has moved it's not in the evening anymore it's now a morning planet so venus is fantastic to see in the morning it's really bright it's really high and it's going to be at its half phase this month and if you watch it throughout the month for a telescope being careful of the rising sun of course you'll be able to see its phase slightly change as it kind of comes around towards us and round it actually reaches its greatest elongation as well in the morning sky so it means that it's now moved out as far as it's going to go and it's going to start coming back in towards the sun so pop out and have a look you'll see the phase of it earth's evil twin as they say <laughs> now on the 12th look out for the crescent moon it won't be too far from the planet mars the god of war where as we said nasa was it nasa who landed the spaceship there uh, yeah the esa yep nasa have now landed another spaceship on mars so go out and have a look you won't be able to see it but you can think there's loads of little robots there driving around testing it it's the most explored planet isn't it yeah it's a strange thing it's the only planet in the entire galaxy that is actually inhabited solely by robots what if they work together (laughs) and slowly and surely they drew their plans against us (sighs) yeah so go and have a look at mars it's still there it's still red and bright and looking cool Uh, On the 15th, there's a minor planet that you can see. And I'm going to go, is it Eros? E-R-O-S? Yeah. Uh, It comes at its closest approach to Earth on the 15th. But don't worry, it's still a long way away. It's not going to crash and kill us or anything. But you should be able to spot it with a telescope. It's in the constellation of Perseus, which is a really nice one to look through as well. There's loads of clusters and that to see. Eros is actually, I've read that it was one of the first asteroids visited by a spacecraft. The first one orbited and the first one soft landed on. NASA spacecraft is it near NEAR Shoemaker uh, apparently entered orbit around Eros in 2000 and then landed in 2001 and it sent back pictures of like a stony elongated shape it's got quite a funny shape you see it I googled it and had a look it's got quite a funny little shape to it to be fair all of the asteroids and bits we seem to be finding now aren't just a lump of circular rock are yeah they? that's right Sphere. I mean yeah as we go back to Ultima Thule that's a bizarre shape you've got the, the Bennu uh, which is almost like a, a diamond shape really it's very weird shape but yeah none of them are spherical which we're, we we always grew up to think that anything that's circling around is going to be spherical and uh, we're you know constantly being proven otherwise yeah i think it's wicked i mean who knows what shapes we're going to find all sorts of stuff we had that one fly in didn't we from uh, they reckon from somewhere else out in space ah uh, yes the it, uh amaui maui and that was like they said that was a really e- long elongated almost cigar sort of shape. shaped thing yeah yeah and of course people thought there might be aliens on it and 
But no, it kind of just flew past and is now flying off somewhere else now, isn't it? That's right. Yeah, but that would have been cool to see. So the 17th, if you find the moon just below it, you should see a, a bright red star, and that's Aldebaran, which is the bull's eye of uh, the constellation Taurus. And not far from this giant are the Seven Sisters, the Pleiades, a bright cluster of blue stars that you can see. So you have a nice sort of almost like a little triangle there with the moon in between. You make a nice picture, especially if you get your iPhones out, you might be able to get them on there. <laughs> We've already discussed the highlight on the 21st, so I'll definitely be out looking at the lunar eclipse. And then if you're stupid enough to stay up the whole night into the morning, like me, on the 22nd, you'll get an extra treat because you'll see the planet Jupiter and Venus quite close in the sky in the morning as they start rising. So I'll probably end up staying up and watching that as well for coffee and see if I can get some pictures or peek at them. Because now Jupiter used to be in the evening, but now it's kind of moved into the morning as we've gone around the sun in our orbit. And then last but not least, on the 31st, the last day, the moon will then join the planets Venus and Jupiter in the morning. So if you're up early in the morning, probably about five o'clock, have a little look and the moon will sort of be sandwiched between the two planets. So you'll have the two planets, the moon, and then also there's the star Antares on the right hand side, which is one that people quite often mistaken for uh, Mars, I believe, because it's got like a red colour to it. Yeah. And yeah, that's everything that's going on this month. So I'm nearly out of breath. <laughs> <laughs> It has some bumps where not a lot happens, but this month is a, a proper go for it. I think everybody, you know, slows down for Christmas and then all of a sudden, wallop, there it all comes at once. <laughs> yeah, if, if everyone's bored of January, look at me. I'm well up for it. Excited because there's loads going on. We're going to take another short break. And when we come back, we're going to talk a bit about an event that took place in December. So we'll be right back. On canvas with paint in the artist's school. It is red that is hot and blue that is cool. But in science we show, as the heat gets higher, a star will glow red like the coals of a fire. Raise the heat some more and what is in sight? Behold, the star glows bright white. But the hottest of all, I say unto you, is neither red nor white when a star has turned blue. Did you know that right now we have a spacecraft orbiting the moon? The Lunar Reconnaissance Orbiter has been at the moon for over seven years, providing unprecedented detail into our nearest neighbor in space. I'm Noah Petro, and for more information about the moon and the LRO mission, go to nasa.gov LRO and follow us on Twitter, at LRO underscore NASA. So welcome back again to TGP Nominal Extra. Now, I mentioned before the break that we are going to talk about an event that took place last month. UK Astronomy had one of them. Are they monthly? Uh, yeah, we used to do them monthly, but I've had so many events got booked up and requests for them that I'm now making them quarterly right. to try and fit all the events in. But yeah, we used to do a monthly coffee night at my local pub. So it's kind of something a little bit different. It's not really an event. It's not really stargazing. There are some people that just want to sit down with a pint or a coffee and just chat about space and just, you know, do things like that. Or they need help with a scope and they've got nowhere to take it. And it's a nice warm pub that serves beer. And they've got <laughs> quite, a, quite a good range of beer, may I say. They've got some good stuff on draft. Yeah, I'm going to have to plug them now, aren't I? It's the Talbot Inn 
in Loughton. And there's a very nice landlady called Kath who runs it. And yeah, she's always made me feel very welcome. And uh, I've been meaning to go to one of these events for quite a while now. And uh, the opportunity came up where I could actually attend, which was actually great for me to do because I picked a great time to do it because... Richard Bartlett was over from America, wasn't he? Yeah, it was a very last minute sort of, I'm coming over. I was like, well, I've got a coffee night. I haven't really advertised it because it's in December. And I thought, mm, people might be ramping down for Christmas. But then seeing as Richard was coming, that was it. I was like, right, I'm there. Let's go. So it was a great evening. Uh, it was just a nice relaxed and just having a chat about well, everything and anything, to be honest with you. It wasn't just astronomy. Well, we were talking about all kinds of different subjects, but the majority of it obviously was astronomy and space. Base and, and and other things but um we were, we were talking away and then um a guy turned up didn't he it was a guy called barry clift i think his name was uh he yeah. wants to come out and try his scope so he, he didn't really know the ins and outs of this scope and uh, he wanted help setting it up and all kinds of bits and pieces so i'm going to play in the first part of that because i did some recordings while we were there and uh have a listen to this so have you done any astronomy or anything? Or well, not, not really. No, I mean, I'm, like like you, when I was about um, I don't know, a teenager, I had a small just a, a little refractor one. Yeah. So yeah, I saw uh, sort of uh, the moons of Jupiter and um, Saturn and things like yeah. that. So I was always always been keen into it sort of, yeah. sort of thing, but never really sort of took it up much really. And then you know, time went by, I didn't sort of do, do anything. And then. Um, my wife bought me that as a birthday present uh, about a year ago, really. So somebody's awful. Yeah, yeah somebody's awful. awful. And, and um, so uh, <laughs> I haven't really sort of had a look for it or set it up properly yet. Yeah. And that, that's because I wasn't too sure how to, really, you yeah. know, because it's a bit more complicated than just my normal old refractor that I had when I was like 20 yeah, sort of that, you know? Most of them um, go up, down, left, right, whereas that one moves with the objects. Right. So it kind of does more of a slew rather than an actual up, down, left, right. Okay. So the idea is you're meant to have, you've got to set that one to the latitude of where you are. So here's 52. Okay. <laughs> so you've got to set that up to that. Generally, what most people do is point one of them towards North Star. Right. So you go to North Star that way. You set the latitude, so it's at the right latitude to where we are. So it's at the right sort of angle. And then the other two dials, they call it the right ascension and declination, right. which is pretty much when you go on an object, press the button, it has the right ascension and declination. And there's two numbers there that you should match up on the dials, and that should be pointing to where it is. Right. And that's the complicated way to do it. The easy way to do it is just put it down and just move it and get used to the way it moves and how it moves and actually find it yourself through the final. So yeah. there's two ways you can play Because when you say press ways. a button, I mean, I don't think it's got any electronics on it or anything like no, that, you no, know. No, that's a, manual, I mean, yeah. it's a bit more of a basic model than that, you know, so... Uh, have, you, have you looked through the moon? I haven't through that, no. I mean, through, through binoculars and that, yeah. But uh, actually, no, not through that, really. Because, as I say, I was a bit, a bit frightened of it, to be honest. It's a bit, <laughs> a bit of a beast for me, really. And uh, from, from what I had before, um, I didn't really know just where to start. And my cousin, she lives down in Kent, and she had sort of a similar one so yeah. um, she's sort of saying to me on the um, the, the other eyepiece where they've got the, the crosshairs you sort of like line that up on something yeah. really and then somehow you fill about with the other bit to, yeah. to, to line that up to, to see exactly the same yeah, thing with the crosshairs the or scope up as well. yeah that's it so like that, that would be the first thing really it's just to get say something bright and obvious like the moon yeah. in the centre of the finder piece and like the centre of the crosshairs and the finder piece right. and then 
you have to um, try to get the eyepiece to, to match what you're seeing in the binder. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you exactly. put an eyepiece in there, and then you, you have to move the telescope around a little bit until you get the moon. Yeah. And then you have to go back to the binder and, and, and move the finder a little bit so that the moon is exactly in, in the middle of the finder. That way, you know that whenever you turn the telescope towards something and your object is in the middle of the fine scope, it should be in the middle of the eyepiece. Exactly, eye that's right. And yeah. that's, that's what I haven't got to at the, at the yeah. beginning, really. <laughs> well, you know, you, you won't because with those weights and everything else on it and it being an equatorial mount, like, like Ross has said, you know, it's going to turn like like this rather than say like that, you know. Um, I was telling you, Ross, I'm, I'm more used to telescopes that just go, you know, left, right, up, down kind of thing. Okay. Yeah, and uh, I haven't really had much experience with an equatorial mount. What, I, mean, I, I don't even really know what that means, really, in terms of what, 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 what because is that, is that a, dip, that's well, it, a different mount? Yeah, and, uh, it, well, you see, it's, it's like Ross said, you know, you've got to set it, first of all, to your to your latitude. Yeah. So right now we're about 52 degrees latitude. Right. So when you, for example, point it up at something, it, it the stars, you know, like the sun, you know, moves across the sky like, like this at a kind of angle. Yeah. So when you set it at, at the right latitude, and you point it up at the sky at, at a particular star or the moon, for example, it's moving at the same angle as, as the star. Okay. So if you're at the North Pole, for example, you want to look at the North Pole star, you set it to 90 degrees, and of course you have to have it pointed straight up. Oh, yeah. That way you, you know it's going to go straight up. Right. Here, you have 52 degrees, so the pole star wouldn't be directly uh, above. Uh, it would basically be at, uh, I guess, like 52 degrees up above the horizon. Right. So when you set it correctly, it knows then when you move it across that it's going up at 52 degrees. And if you point it at the pole star, then that pole star should appear. But it's a bit kind of confusing with the next <laughs> So then you were trying to set things up inside a pub, which wasn't the easiest thing to do at that point. No, we, we set out for him, didn't we? And had it all sort of like all facing north, all the latitude and everything was right for him. And then we thought the best thing to do is actually just take it outside. The moon was up, wasn't it? And there were some bits you could look at. Yeah. So we just thought, let's get it outside, get him on it and get him used to how it works and how to move it and things like that. And that seemed to work well, didn't it? You actually got the hang of it in the end. Yeah. Well, we got a little bit of a, uh, another clip of uh, when we took the telescope outside and uh, it was a cold night, wasn't it? <laughs> it yeah, it was cold. And do you remember... <laughs> We've had a few beers and that as well. Yeah, <laughs> just a, just a few. Yeah, <laughs> I felt sorry for poor Richard really because you know he'd not long really been back over in the UK and and uh, we stuck him outside in December in frosty conditions. <laughs> yeah, and he's used to was it Los Angeles weather, which is always warm apparently. <laughs> yeah, with your eyepieces, you, you see you've got a number on the side. Your, your, your telescope's focal length is a thousand millimeters, which is the distance that light has to travel from here, where it goes in, bounces along to a mirror and up to the eyepiece. Right. So if you divide that number by the number on the edge of your eyepiece, like 10, for example, yeah. it gives you the magnification. Okay. So if you've got a, a thousand millimeter focal length and you're using a 10 millimeter eyepiece, then you're getting a magnification of a hundred times. Right. So where he's using 25, it gives you a magnification of, uh, I guess, 40. Yeah. So the larger the number on the eyepiece, the lower the magnification. Right. Um, but that's why it's always good to know the focal length. So when you put eyepieces in, you've got an idea of what the magnification is. Right. Well, a lot yeah. of astronomy books will say, well, it's, it's best looked 
at with magnification of about 50 times and if you don't know what magnification your telescope can provide you yeah. don't know which eyepiece to use no, you know? sure yeah yeah right that works as well it's bang on as well it's not a problem so the moon's there okay yeah it's just getting to grips with the movement and the finder yeah. they're the two things there that as if i was going to give you a task as a teacher or something <laughs> yeah, exactly. i'd say that would be the end. yeah i'd say your first thing would be you're probably going to spend hours doing it like yeah. just going out and moving it it's not there moving it and realizing what tightens what what moves what because what i did is i moved it to where the moon was there a bit and then these two wheels then kind of honed it in to it being fully in there so i moved it and the moon moved out a bit and i don't know the other way moved into it right but if you look through the red dot, but then the, is the finder way out then? See, this is a this is a new finder on me. I've not seen one like this one. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I'm playing around with it as it is as well. Right, we're both there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I've used red dot finders before, but this one's slightly different to what I've seen. Oh, okay. You find that on every scope. Yeah. Every scope has a different. They always put something different. Yeah, on. something new or a bit of extra technology came along that we're not used to. But to me. Both circles now are perfectly on each other. Both red dots are perfectly on each other. But you'll see, when you look through there, try and try and get your eye there and get the moon in that circle by moving your head around. And then that will, that will be where you know you have to put your head. <laughs> As you say, you're, yeah, you're on your haunches, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. it's always... So I've got, uh, I bought builder's trousers. Okay. So there's loads of pockets and flaps for me to put all bits in eyepieces I throw around on the floor. And then also it's padded on the knees and you don't look like this when you go back into the pub. <laughs> you go on your knees and just catch your cargo pants <laughs> from the 90s. Right, yeah, you? no, yeah. I've got that, like, yeah. I think before I was, yeah, my head was here, but my eyes were over here. So yeah. therefore <laughs> I, I wasn't looking. So yeah, now I'm looking down, down yeah. it. Yeah, so right. that's it. Now you know where you have to kind of be to look. All right. So you can find the moon now. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, it's, okay. it's actually quite surprising that you can actually see quite a few stars considering there is quite a bit of light. Yeah, well, yeah I mean, we are still fairly out in uh, into the country, but at least yeah. where we are. So even from my parents' house, you know, they're on the outskirts of Luton, which is a pretty decent-sized town, but they're lucky in that they got houses around that block out things like streetlights. Yeah. And when their neighbours decide to put lights on, it's different. <laughs> but, True. <laughs> uh, and it, it's not that great of a night because obviously you've got some clouds around. Mm. and uh, It's quite misty as well, isn't it? Yeah. But it's uh, clearing a little bit. Yeah, yeah there's obviously some uh, humidity around there because the ground's getting frosty. So, uh, it's not that... I mean, it's not great, but I mean, it's not as though it's a terrible night either. I can see the Pleiades up there. Oh, right, yeah. The easiest way to find is, but I don't know if you can see like the three stars or Orion's belt, but you follow the three stars up, yep. you come to your, your own star at Dabra, and you keep going up a little bit more, mm -hmm. a little easy patch. Just coming out of the cloud now, and that's the Pleiades. It's really nice with your necklace. For those who don't know the Pleiades, it's otherwise known as the Seven Sisters, right? Yeah. Uh, it's a pretty young star cluster. Uh, but it, it's usually a very popular kind of photo that you'll see in astronomy books. You can see uh, a blue nebula surrounding some of the stars, but 
uh, it used to be thought that stars were born from the nebula, but it just seems to be a, a chance alignment uh, that the stars actually, they think, actually moving through that nebula right now. We just have to, to be looking at it at the right time and in the right place, I guess. Wow. Just in the vastness of the universe, I, I still think there's quite something of a coincidence that... <laughs> You know, and the stars happen to be moving through that area of space at just the right time. Yeah, it all works fine. As far as I've seen, there's nothing wrong with it. It's kind of like the way that this planet actually works, really, isn't it? That everything here was... Everything was lined up at the right time for us to be able to... Well, yeah, it, it's like eclipses, you know, the, the, the moon and, and the sun. I think it... I think the, the, the sun is 200 times further away from us um, then the moon is 200 times smaller than the sun so when they line up the moon is exactly the right size <laughs> yeah, to cover the sun <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and with the moon moving further and further away from the earth very slowly obviously then mm -hmm. it, it's not going to always be that way we just happen to be on this planet exactly the right time to be able to see this kind of thing and it's, it's, it's just purely coincidental so uh, you know it's going to still happen, I think, for the next few million years or so, but we should take advantage of it while we can. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, it's kind of hard to see much with the, the bright light. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And there's clouds as well. What are you looking at, Aldebaran? Uh, no, Rigel. I did go for Aldebaran, but then something went over it. Okay. <laughs> seems to be better around so, Something went over it. Yeah, right. a cloud, I'd say. <laughs> something unidentified. <laughs> So Richard, if, if the um, the North Star is not easily seen because of different conditions, what would be for you the, the next next best thing to line up with? There is no next best thing <laughs> because uh, the reason why the North Star is used is, is because it, it's it's less than a degree away from true true north. Yeah, and. But Obviously, then, if you was to pick a different okay. star, I uh, say the next closest yeah, no, one. Fine, yeah, I mean, it obviously still be relatively close to north, but it would still be off, and it would be off by too much really to make it usable. Right. Okay. But with something like what they call an out azimuth scope, where it just moves left and right and up and down, it's not really a problem. He's just going to move it around, play it, and have a look. I'm just going to go and check. Yeah, I'm going to see if I can find the Pleiades actually. Because uh, shouldn't the Pleiades visible up there? And it looks like some of those clouds have moved away a little yeah, bit. Yeah, uh, actually, might, now might be a good chance to try and see them. But they, they are a little bit faint. That's the problem. Yeah, you see, I can't miss the small oh, yeah. group of stars. That's that's the Pleiades, Pleiades right. which is what I was trying to get it. Uh, it's a pretty large group it's really good with binoculars right. but if you get a, a low magnification eyepiece like this one you can sometimes just fit the entire group into oh, like right. your, your view right. and uh, it can actually really appear quite spectacular but the problem is uh, with the lights and everything else it's hard to aim the telescope in the right direction because yeah, exactly, yeah. the, the stars are a little bit too faint yeah uh, I'm maybe trying to be a little bit too ambitious Oh, if you yeah. go to a darker sky, they are amazing. They're yeah. really bright blue and they're all like brand new burning stars, I call them. Yeah. <laughs> well, they are really. Yeah. Yeah, they're, not, they're not old. 
Well, it's kind of a nursery, isn't it? It's, uh... Well, yeah, and the, the, these stars were all kind of born from the same place, and this is why they... It's, it's the same is true of almost all star clusters, uh, what they call open star clusters, anyway. They were born from the same cloud. So uh, they're still traveling through space together. They still appear quite close together. And, you know, this is why they call them star clusters, because obviously the stars are clustered close together. <laughs> uh, but yeah, there, there's hundreds of them in, in the night sky. Yeah. Uh, some of them are better than others. Um, for example, where Aldebaran is, you can't see it right now, but again, you get away from these lights and you'll be able to see that it, it, it's at the tip of a, a V-shape of stars. And the, the V-shape is called the Hyades. So the V-shape of stars is about 150 light years away. Aldebaran is about 90 light years away. So it's not a, an actual member of, of the cluster. Just, again, it appears in our line of sight. Yeah, yeah. Right. it's to be near. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, it, it, the cluster is too big really to look at through a telescope. Because it's probably yeah, several times no. larger than the full moon, so you need binoculars oh, right. to see the whole cluster in, in one kind of view, if you will. Right, okay. Yeah. What are you looking at now, Russ? I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> I'm uh, hunting up around Cassiopeia and that to see if I can get anything on here. You're a brave man, Russ, because I'm not sure if I can honestly find anything with these lights. <laughs> <laughs> Well. You can see the stars, they are coming out. Another shooting star, you missed They it. are quite dim. <laughs> so yeah, it's the bright light ruins it, and also it's ruining your night vision as well. Yeah. So you yeah. have to spend 20 minutes really in the dark yeah. before you then uh, see this. Because yeah. usually I put the scopes outside, let them cool down out there so the temperature of the, is the outside because I was going to get a little bit of yeah. So let them cool down for a bit, and that's a perfect time for you to sit out and just have a cup of tea and just right. look and yeah. look at the <coughs> yeah, constellations and stuff like that. Because if you're keeping it inside, like most of us do, then you have to let, let it cool down outside. Because of course you've got air inside the tube at, at room yeah. temperature, right. especially if you keep the cap on it. You right. take it out, that, that air is still inside the tube, and right. it's kind of it distorts the view the same as you do when you're driving along a, you know, right. in the summer, and the air. Um, you know, distorts you know the, the edge of the road, <coughs> so you have to let the air cool down in right. the tube a little bit. Right. Okay. Yeah. Don't don't keep anything kind of hot near it because if you've got anything hot that, that that's by it, then that will also distort the air yeah, and distort, yeah. distorts the view. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Right. But you've got to let your eyes adjust as well, which is just turn it back in. Yeah, yeah, my hands are freezing. Yeah. <laughs> and like you, you said you were just hunting, so sometimes is it better just to go look through there and yeah, yeah. Hunt to get, to get a feel for what he's doing, quite yeah. often what I do is I don't look through the finder, I just kind of move it up to the sky, I'll look through like a 25 mil, and as I just move in around, you then might see like a little fuzz, so, and you look <clears> at that fuzz and go, what's that? Yeah. And you can look up on your phone or look up in a book and you find out it's a galaxy. And you're yeah. like, ah, what galaxy is that then? And you right. look it up and find it. What I usually say is, as a complete beginner, choose a constellation yeah so like something like orion which is really <coughs> easy usually to see if the cloud is in the way yeah, yeah. <laughs> big constellation there <clears throat> pick one of its stars look at find the star look at the star yeah then choose another star go down to the next star it's called star hopping so you then move to the next star find it right that's how you get a feel for how your scope moves then the next star because even stars they sound boring but some are blue some are white yeah, some yeah. are yellow sure, yeah. like all different colors stars, and you can yeah, see like if you yeah. look at rigel there or is depends on what people want to say. <laughs> it's really bright, it's really flickery, yeah. and it looks like a bonfire almost, and there's other stars that are even brighter. 
So yeah, just literally like pick a star or constellation, just go around that area. Because as you're moving from star to star, you will see like a little cluster of stars. Right. And you'll be like, oh, that's a cool little cluster. Yeah. And you move again, you find something else, you find something else, and you slowly find higher up you go, less atmosphere you look through, and it's darker because you've got street lights and things like that. Right. So yeah, just literally find a constellation, look it up in a book, read about the history behind it, because that's always a bit of fun, what it's meant to represent, yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah. And just star hop around. And then once you've done that constellation, you can see in the book, oh, I know that star. Well, there's that by it. And then you try and find what's by it yeah. by hopping to even fainter stars <coughs> right. to that one. Yeah. And that's literally how I learned the sky. Right. I just did it all by myself, reading books and yeah. just hunting. Mm-hmm. So sometimes it's good to go to the basics. Yeah. <laughs> that's the very basics. Even now, I sometimes go, right, I know where things are. Literally, I can just, because I've done it so much now, I can see by eye, or practically I know that star, I know it's there. And find it just with a finder scope and then go and look right but now i want to see even fainter things things that i don't know where they are so yeah. then i have to go back to basic and go right stop looking at the things you know ross start looking at the things you don't know right and try and learn more yeah but yeah so literally take it out and play with it yeah you had to end on that didn't you <laughs> <laughs> yeah ross says take it out and play with it your scope that is that doesn't sound much better either does it <laughs> But I thought the actual, what I captured there was quite informative. Yeah, it was, it was good that uh, Richard was there because while I was playing about with the scope and trying to get it all on things and teaching them, mm-hmm. Richard is then actually talking about, you know, because he's the guide's master, isn't he? He's really, yeah. he's, he knows his stuff. He really, I mean, like he can remember the distances of how the stars are from what star and things like that. I can't remember that. <laughs> We've spoken about the Pleiades and things like that in the past on the show. Yeah. And I've always thought of it as something that you could only possibly see through a scope and I was actually slightly seeing it with the naked eye we're going to have to bring you out one day aren't we we're going to have to take you somewhere we'll take you to the dark sky site on a nice night and I'll show you the, I'll show you the sky I'll show you the world because <laughs> it's one thing talking about it but it's quite another thing going out and actually seeing it with your own eyes and then you can then see it through binoculars and then through a telescope and then you can understand the sheer distance and size and you know it's really humbling you know? <laughs> sitting on this little ball of rock looking out into the universe yep hairless monkeys floating around on an organic spacecraft (laughs) and it's all true (laughs) so you couldn't make it up the universe is weird and wonderful (laughs) Spanhead Productions are a small independent sound recording company based in rural Hertfordshire we specialise in creating content for all your podcasting needs whether it be field recordings fox pops or capturing the atmosphere during social events editing is a very time consuming job so Spanhead Productions are on hand to take away some of the burden for you just advise us on how you'd like your content to sound and we will do the rest we can even help you design and manage a website for your podcast too visit us now spanheadproductions.com Weebly.com. That's spamheadproductions.weebly.com. So, Ross, before we go, what have you got coming up event-wise in the next month or so? Well, the next public ones, big public ones, we've, uh, we're have we going to be working along uh, the National Trust with Dunstable Downs. And uh, they've got a lovely visitor centre there that's, that's fantastic. Beautiful views through there, nice sloping hill as well. The sunset there is amazing. So we're going to be working with them on the 13th and the 14th of February, so next month. One of them is Valentine's night, I know, but we've got that sorted. <laughs> the first night, the 13th, is uh, it's going to be like a family-style 
stargazing evening or night. So any families can come along. From what I can see, they split you into a few groups. I'll be doing a talk as one of the groups about the solar system, what's going on up there. Then they go outside with some telescopes and have a look up. And I believe Dark Sky Wales are joining us as well, or it's their gig and I'm kind of helping. <laughs> I've been introduced to them all as part of the team. So that'd be really nice to work with them all. And then I think they have a planetarium as well, an inflatable one you can go in and then something else. So there's, there's like lots of different activities for everyone to actually do. So it's not just, you know, a talk then you go outside. They've got a lot more gear and they've got a lot more, you know, volunteers and all that. So I'm really looking forward to mucking in with them and helping and be great. So that should be really cool for the kids and especially, you know, families to come along and learn. And then the next day is uh, Valentine's night. So it's going to be more of an adult themed style one for couples and lovers. And I'm going to do a talk probably about <laughs> romance under the stars and things like that and what there is up there. Because there's lots of stories in stars about love and hate and <laughs> all those sorts of things so yeah that should be quite good I'm, I'm really looking forward to it because it'd be really nice to work with a big group that know what they're doing <laughs> now we've come to the end of this episode of tgp nominal extra for january obviously i'd like to thank ross for being with us again thank you very much for having me it's always fun and don't forget that we will put links to anything that we've mentioned on today's show so you can have a look at it and find out a bit more about it and uh, expand from what we've been talking about yeah so once again thanks to everybody out there for listening to the show don't forget we've got the main tgp nominal show coming up later in the month and um, we'll speak to you all again real soon Happy New Year! Well, that about wraps it up for this episode of TGP Nominal. If you want to get in touch with us, then... Send an email to garbagepod at virginmedia.com, where your input is our output. Or click the social media icons at the top left of the page over at tgpnominal.weebly.com. If you would like to subscribe to any of our podcasts, you can do so via iTunes, the RSS feed, and also Stitcher and TuneIn On Demand Radio. And you can listen to me going solo, bringing you the latest in movies and home theater for regular people in the Widescreen podcast over at widescreen.org. Don't forget to rate and review us. If you like what we're doing here, then why not buy us a pint by clicking on the donate button on any of the podcast pages. And don't forget to spread the word about us. This is Houston ACR. Thank you. That concludes the event.